that may be incorrect. Um, as you may see, it is just Rachel and I, but we are a family uh, with four children. We uh, decided to leave them back, and they are at Cavan Baptist Church this morning. A little easier sometimes getting things together and coming down. Um, we have a friend, Gwen, who is pretty much their aunt up there, so she was excited to take them today. So we do have Ian and Riley. Well, I should say in the way I have it, Rhea, Ian, Ella, and Riley. Um, if you may notice, if you haven't already heard, uh, Rachel and I are up in Cavan Baptist Church, but we're not from Cavan. You can tell by our accents, we are from the U.S. Um, we are actually living just outside of Virginia, and it's always interesting. I think I may have mentioned before, when I tell people we're from Virginia, they think Virginia, the U.S., but no, it's Virginia, Ireland is where we're living. We're from the state of Illinois. Um, we've been over here for two and a half years, um, and many people ask, well, why are you here? What, what is your purpose? But the real true answer that we always have for that is God has called us over to Ireland um, and we feel the importance of, of church planting. Um, I just know uh, a lot of things and I love um, the Baptist missions and Mervyn Scott himself and just their focus on church planting. Um, we do feel that God has placed us in the area of Virginia, which I've been actually saying more East Cavan than actually the town of Virginia. East Cavan is where we're placed because we feel there is a need for a church there. Um, we're helping with Cavan Baptist. We came over right at the actually end of, many of you might remember the name Joel Marcus, Joel and Katia. Um, they actually are in Belturbet. So just in the process of Belturbet being planted is when we moved over here, and I'm kind of filling some of the roles that Joel had um, prior. Um, but like I said, in, in Virginia, um, what do we do? Um, we currently have a few things going on that is the process of hopefully a church plant coming. Um, Rachel actually is in charge of a women's Bible study. Um, there are six or seven ladies that meet up fortnightly, um, and it's really mainly ladies that are from East Cavan. Um, we also have a home group that we meet up on Friday night fortnightly. Um, we currently have about 12 to 14 adults come and about 20 kids. Um, we have a Friday night home group um, from 6 to 8. Um, the kids have their own little session time they break off and have little kids craft or story time. And then we also have a few things that I do on um, discipleship with a few men that are from Virginia. So there is some stuff coming. Um, things in the community that we're kind of helping out and a part of. Um, I actually um, am coaching GAA for the second year. I'm a little bit more knowledgeable of the sport than I was last year. Um, still don't quite, can't do a solo myself, but I'm learning. Um, but I am thankful, I may have mentioned the last time we were here in Virginia, um, I'm thankful that basketball is a very common sport in East Cavan. And so I was helping coach basketball and uh, kind of helping leading the academy, which is under 10 age group. And uh, it's been a great way to get involved in the community. So we see things kind of working together, God's working things out, but you know, as of now, it's God's timing, see how things come together. But we do pray that, and uh, we do pray that a church may be planted in East Cavan. So if you keep that in your prayers, as well. So, well today, I'm not here just to talk about that. We're actually going to look at some of the words and some of the things that we sung, some of the songs that I requested. Sorry you might not have known and all exactly too familiar with them, but it is going to focus a little bit about, about us and, and I surrender all as far as what we're led to do. So um, we're going to look in First Peter, um, which is a book. We're going to look in chapter four. But before we, we get there, I have a question just to ask is, how often do you find yourself working on a project that you don't complete in one day and you just say, you know what, I'll just finish this tomorrow? Or is there ever something that you forgot to tell a friend and you said, you know what, I'll just give them a ring tomorrow? 
Well, a question that comes up is, well, what if tomorrow never comes? Have you ever asked yourself that? It's interesting on this, um, one thing that I am a fan of back in the States is a Garth Brooks fan, and there's a song, What If Tomorrow Never Comes? And I know Garth is somewhat popular over here, but I also heard there was a boy band that had this song, What If Tomorrow Never Comes? And with that song, If Tomorrow Never Comes, Will she know how much I loved her? Did I try in every way to show her every day that she's my only one? And if my time on earth were through, and she must face this world without me, is the love I gave her in the past going to be enough to last if tomorrow never comes? Have most of you heard this song or are familiar with it? Okay, looks like most are. Well, the question we're going to look at today is that, what if tomorrow never comes? Are you living your lives today in preparation for that? See, there's one day that will be our last. That's a fact of life. I heard a story of a patient that went and saw a doctor after a series of tests were done on them. Well, the test came back and the doctor told the patient, I have some good news and I have some bad news for you. He said, well, what's the good news? And the doctor said, you only have 24 hours left to live. He said, how in the world is that the good news? What's the bad news? The doctor said, I forgot to tell you this yesterday. <laughs> so how would you live your life knowing that you had no tomorrow? What things would you change? So think about this as we focus on 1 Peter 4. And now, if you're not familiar with this book, just to give you a little heads up on what exactly this book, uh, when it was written by Peter, two people that were being persecuted for their Christian faith. You see, these Christians were being burned alive for their faith, beaten, verbally abused. They were even killed almost as a sport. Now, it's somewhat hard for us to kind of understand quite that concept of persecution but we need to keep that in mind because the people that were this letter was written to were going through those struggles going through that suffering so we're going to look today is how can that also relate to us today and that'll be our main focus as christians we should live our lives as this was our last now i want to say this is a big context that we're going to look at um, and it's somewhat challenging of a message but even if you are here as a Christian, focus on these things. But if you're also here and you say, well, I don't know if I even believe in God. I don't even know if I understand completely. Is there a God out there? And you have questions about that. Still, think about the things that we're going to go over today and what importance it has on life. So let's go ahead and look at 1 Peter 4. We're going to be looking at just a few verses from 7 through 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So these are the things we're going to focus on today. 
And a few specific words that we're going to take from this point is we are to pray, we're to love, and we're to serve. But let me pray before I continue. Heavenly Father, Lord, just these words that we have here given to us, we know are from you. Lord, we thank you for Peter writing this letter to the persecuted Christians. Help us today understand this context and how this can relate to us and strengthen our understanding and for your will to be done. In your name, amen. Well, verse 7, the end of all things is near. Now, not only in here in the book of Peter is this important topic, but throughout all scripture. As we just read in Romans, I'm glad you kind of brought that up. In Romans 13, 11, it says, And do this, understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is near now than when we first believed. Throughout scripture, it's talking about end times. Even in James chapter 5, you too be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Now, why is it that throughout all Scripture, we hear the coming of Jesus? And it's been over 2,000 years, and he's still not here. You see, nowhere in the New Testament does it talk about that Christ will return. It doesn't simply say what day it's going to be. It said he's going to come again. So as we wait, are we just supposed to sit and look up? And wait? No, and I think what Peter is going to teach us here is just the opposite of that. See, if I were to tell you that this week would be your last week to live, would you live your life differently if you knew that? Or would you just try to finish up a bucket list of things to go do and see? Well, I know when, when Rachel and I first got married in 2008, September 2008, um, one place that we always said we wanted to go on vacation is actually Ireland. And we always knew that we wanted to come to Ireland. We wanted to go see the Cliffs of Moher. You know, in, in all the um, different vacation guides that we have in the States, that's like the top place to go see in Ireland. Well, we lived here two and a half years, and we still have not gone to see the Cliffs of Moher. Who in here has, able to, has anybody not seen it? Okay, a few of you as well have not seen it. Well, what I'm just thinking about is if Rachel and I knew that our visas would expire and we had to move in three days, would we quickly pick up and go see the Cliffs of Moher before we came back to Ireland? I don't think that's what it would be. No, I think, to be honest, if we knew we had to move back to the States, we would want to spend time with the people we love, spend time with them. I think I'd want to spend time with them, focusing on just the love that we have with the people in the community that we're at. I don't think we'd pick up and go do a bucket list of things. And how different to think about that is if we think about just, what about life on earth? Do we spend our time focusing on worldly things, or we focus on things from him, the one above? See, I hope I wouldn't care about things of this life any matter, that don't have no matter. I'd want to love and fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'd want to share my faith. See, death and end times should bring an urgency for believers. And Peter wants these people, along with you and I today, to understand the end is near. Look again at verse 7. The end of all things is near. And then it says, therefore. Therefore, because the end of the year... Do these things. And the first thing that we're going to look at is pray. 
It says, therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. It means be clear-minded and self-controlled, all for the purpose for praying to the Lord. See, listen, the end time shouldn't make us so urgent that we work so hard to do certain things that we don't pray. And what Peter is trying to say is that one should be self-controlled and alert in order to pray properly. Be alert and of sober mind. See, prayer is important. As we draw near to the end, we need to realize that we don't save people, but God is the one that saves people. And if we start praying for people into the kingdom, people want to start coming to know the Lord. Listen to a quote. You may know Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor said, It is possible to move men through God by prayer alone. See, Hudson Taylor's conversion story is an amazing story. Like, obviously, most all stories in his life, but this one is a monument power of prayer. Listen, when he was about 17 years old, he went one afternoon into his father's library just to find a book to take some of his time off of the day to relax. Well, he ended up picking a gospel story book. And he said to himself, you know, I'll read the story part of this book, but at the end there's probably a sermon or some scripture that I'll skip. Well, little did he know that at the same time and same hour was his mother, who was 70 hours away praying for him. That afternoon she went into a room with an intense yearning of conversion for her son. So what she did, she went into a room, got on her knees, and prayed for hours for her son until she had glad assurance that the object of her prayer had already been accomplished. Meanwhile, in the course of reading the story, Hudson Taylor came across a few words that said, the finished work of Christ. And remembering his words, it is finished. He simply, in his mind, thought, what was finished? What has been done? And he simply replied, the full and perfect atonement and satisfaction for our sin. Christ has died for sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And the next thing that came on his mind was, if the whole work was finished and the whole debt paid, what is there left for me to do, he asked himself. Then came the realization that there was nothing in the world to be done but to fall on one's knees in prayer and in faith accept the salvation brought out by Christ. Thus, Hudson Taylor says, while my dear mother was praying and praising to God on her knees 70 miles away, I came to praise him for which I had gone into a room just on my own time to relax. Doesn't this make you tingle? God answers prayer. If you don't know Hudson Taylor, look him up. He became a missionary in China where he was one of the first for the China Inland Missions. And coming from that, we need to realize that prayer has power, which will bring about change in people's lives. How important is in knowing the power of prayer? How can we gather together and lift up our concerns to him who is listening and cares for us? So, question, are you praying? Do you spend time in your home in prayer? Do you pray for family members? Do you pray for your parents? Do you pray for your children? Husbands, do you pray for your wives? 
in the same wives, do you pray for your husbands? Do you pray for the church? Do you pray for leadership? Do you pray for unbelievers? See, if we all become more intimate on praying, the result will be supernatural when we do. But we must have the right mindset. As it said, be clear-minded and self-controlled and take it seriously. I read this quote. It's actually in a Nine Marks book because I see some of the Nine Marks flyers you have there. It said, prayer has power. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Think about that. So do you pray? Do you have a set time in your day for prayer? Now, not just talking about before meals to say quickly, thank you, Lord, for this meal, but do you have a specific time for prayer? If not, try to set something aside. doesn't matter where you are or when it is, God is there listening. See, our Savior thought it was important to pray as well. Jesus Christ, he set time aside to do it, and so should we. Prayer can be done anytime, any place. And there's a promise that the Lord gives us, that is that our prayers are heard. So come to God with your prayers and petitions. Then Peter goes on, we'll look at the next verse. Verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. See, there's a command here with a promise. Love one another deeply, or some translations you may have says fervently. See, Peter knows that in these end times, we need to focus on love for one another. Now, we're all called to love each other in our faith. You see, those who love one another are always ready to also forgive others. See, loving people sometimes may seem hard when we think about that word forgiving. When someone hurts you or wrongs you or maybe they talk behind your back or degrade you, your character, or, or whatever the case may be, it's then when this command of loving sometimes seems a little bit cloudy. But again, it's a command to love one another. It's not just something that we choose to do when we want to do it. You see, when we love each other, as we're called to love, we need to realize that it is doable. Think about what Christ has done for us. And we need to realize that love is lasting. See, many are familiar, maybe in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, many may know it as. In this past uh, Valentine's Day, we had a dinner at Cabin Baptist Church, and one of our deacons, Wayne, focused on this chapter. And you may know the verses. I'll just read a verse of 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And when Wayne was going through this specific section, what he did was try to go ahead and take the word love out of there and put your own name in. Rachel is patient. I don't want to use my name. Rachel is kind. Rachel does not envy or boast. Rachel is not arrogant. Rachel is not rude. Rachel bears all things, believes all things. Have you ever tried to do that? In that section, take the word love out and put your own name in. 
It's hard. How hard it seems to be. However, how thankful we are knowing that we can actually change the word love into Jesus Christ. Because Christ has done all those things and Christ loves all things for us. And because of that, we need to realize that we are also to love each other. As I said, because love is lasting. However, notice in verse 9, it goes on to say, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So, do you guys ever complain if your parents or maybe your spouse invites someone over during a specific time where there might be a match on that you want to watch? Or if it might be during a certain time that seems best for a nap? And you're saying, why are they coming over today? We don't have time. We have other things to do. Or you just maybe not feel like that you want anyone around that time. Well, we need to realize how God calls us to be hospitable. It is a way to show God's love through us. See, in light of the context, you have this early church. They met in homes. And you have Christians traveling around, sharing their faith. And they needed to be invited to places to live and stay. Hospitable. See, people couldn't always afford lodging. Well, today, for most of us, when we think of hospitality, we may think about a picture of a perfect home with maybe a perfectly set table, maybe scented candles and all the best to make the house look as best as it can. And then we look at our own house and we're like, I can't have anybody over. It's too messy. I got clothes all over. And we said, I can't invite them over today. Or maybe you're thinking... How can I invite eight people over when my table only sits four? Do we worry about those things? Where could anyone sit? But I'd like us to realize the Bible looks at hospitality quite a bit differently. See, hospitality in Scripture, it has a means to an end. See, opening the doors of our home in hospitality, it means inviting them into our lives, not just into our house, but into our hearts. Sharing a loaf of bread with others across the kitchen table creates opportunities to share with others the bread of life, the faith we have in Jesus. See, hospitality in Scripture plays an important role. See, during Jesus' life, hospitality provided a place for him to teach. He also found rest and relaxation, particularly, and actually the author of this book, Peter, Peter's Home. And in the New Testament church, Christians opened their homes to encourage and meet together with other believers. Homes were also needed to provide a meeting place for worship and for teaching. Scripture encourages hospitality for meeting the needs of the lost and those that are hurting. And it demonstrates to them the love of Christ. So, another question for you. Are you hospitable? Do you invite people over? You see, when we have people over to our own home, we give them the very best which is not the home, but it's our hearts. It's our time. And are we doing this, as it says, without grumbling? So as we live today, as it is our last, we are to pray because prayer has power. We're to love because love is last, lasting. And then thirdly, we're to serve and serve selflessly. So we look at verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. See, we're to serve. And notice, each follower of Christ has been given a gift to serve. 
And these gifts are undeserved. Gifts for ministry that God has given you in love. Every believer has a spiritual gift given by God at once you were saved for the purpose of ministry and for the church. Let me ask you, how are you using your gift in the service of this church? See, God calls us to be good stewards of the gifts. And I hope you know that church, it's not about what you can get out of it, but it's about what you can give unto the Lord within the church. And we're to serve him with the proper servant attitude. We can use all kinds of certain gifts. Think about this. Think about the the Sunday school teachers that you have here today. Teaching Sunday school. Maybe helping if you have a creche. Or maybe leading a Bible study. Teaching kids. Maybe even it's just helping in the kitchen, serving coffee and tea. Or maybe it's being on a cleaning rota. What are you using to help God's church? Maybe it's doing PowerPoint or leading music. Which ways can you help? See, all these jobs are very vital to ministry. So get plugged in somehow if you haven't already. Get in some way that's vital to be a good steward of the gift that God has given you. And these gifts are not just used here in this church, in this building. We know this church is by Christ, is the people. It's also used out there. So be open to see how God is using you in different opportunities of your life. See, the point of gifts are given to help and to serve others. So what gift has God given you to serve? And we see in verse 11, it says, If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. You see, your gifts are either a speaking gift or a serving gift. Those are the two main categories they seem to fall into. So if your gift is a speaking gift, you should use it to speak the word of God, to teach, to preach. And if your gift is a serving gift, you should do so unto the Lord, whatever the gift is, that your attitude should be one of dependency on God. See, your ability, you see, comes from him, so don't waste it. Because as we said, the end is near. We're living in the last days. So serve one another. These were people that Peter was writing to. He was focusing on that, and we need to focus on that as well. And I love that last section. It says, in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory. That's why we do certain things. That's why we use the gifts he's given us for him. So why are we to pray love, and serve. Because this is what we're asked to do for his will to be done. And how thankful we are knowing that Christ came to be an example of this for us. He prayed, he loved, he served. And we know that he loves us so much that he came to be a servant, one who lived a perfect life but still was crucified for it. However, he conquered death and he rose again. And he loves us so much that if we believe that he has done for us and turn our lives for him, we will one day be with him for eternity. We don't have to worry if tomorrow never comes. So do you live your life knowing and trusting this? Do you you live your life knowing if this was your last day that you'll be with him for eternity? If not, maybe ask yourself, why not? 
Is God calling you to follow him? Maybe someone is praying for you today to turn your life to Christ at this moment. But also, if you believe in the Lord, is there someone that you should be praying for? Remember to pray fervently, because prayer has power. See, if we turn our lives to be followers of Christ, we do not have to worry if tomorrow never comes. We will one day be with him. And knowing this helps us realize that why we are called to do his will for his glory, because prayer has power. Remember that love is lasting. Remember to serve selflessly the same way Christ did for us, for his glory to be seen. Amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you now just in thankfulness for what you have done for us. Christ came to this earth to be an example for us who prayed, loved, and served us for your will to be done. And thank you that he died on the cross for us and rose again, that if we believe in him, we'll be with you for eternity where we don't have to worry if tomorrow never comes because we know that we'll be with you forever in heaven. Lord, again, we just give you thanks for these words. And as always, pray your will be done. Amen.